You're listening to Accelerate Churches Podcast, located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. We pray you leave inspired, and this message helps you build your faith. We hope you enjoy this word from our lead pastor, Ernest Grant II. So you probably noticed um, that uh, that our supermarkets are stuffed or stacked with those little chocolate eggs during the season. Some of us bought more of those than we should have probably, but it's all good, right? We got the, you know, this season we had the flowers and we had the Easter bunny and it reminds us that Easter season is upon us. And it's during this time where we have Easter egg hunts and we exchange baskets full of sweet treats and uh, we put on our pastel colors and we head to church. And then that night we have dinner with our friends. It's really an amazing thing. And so here's the question that I had in mind. Like, sure, this is all fun. Sure. Um, it's fun to hang out with your family and have dinner with some of y'all like, I don't know about that. I'm doing it out of obligation. But, but, but it's fun to hang out with your friends during Easter. It's fun to wear pastel colors and come to church. It's fun to, uh, to exchange Easter baskets. But the, the question I have is, why does this really matter? What does this matter? Why, what, what is this holiday? Why is it significant? Now, you might know that this is when Christians celebrate uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Right. It's when we get together and we sing songs about him rising from the grave. But you might be here today and be wondering, why does that really matter? What does a Palestinian Jew that died 2000 years ago have to do me would do with me and my walk with God today? Frankly, why do Christians make such a big deal about some dead guy 2,000 years ago. Why, why, why do we do it? Because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And let me just tell you, if that's you today, let me just say welcome to the cookout. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so glad to be able to explain that to you today. And so um, we're starting this new series next week. It's called You Asked For It. And what we did was we surveyed the congregation And we asked them, what do they want to hear sermons on? And you guessed it. Everybody wants to know about weed. So we're going to start there. We'll start with, start with, can I, pastor, can I get high? What about an edible? What does it have? How about how weed has destroyed the African-American community? We're going to get into all that. Just come back next week, right? We're going to talk about all that, all the controversial stuff. We'll talk about that, right? So we plan on, so we polled the congregation. We're going to answer some of these questions. Um, And I would just love for to welcome you out to that. But, but in this passage today, Paul, who is a missionary, he's like a pastor who starts all of these churches in the Mediterranean region. He does something very similar. He's writing to this church that he started in this place called Corinth. It's in modern day Turkey right now. And they had a lot of questions about the faith. They were wondering about all of these different things. So he took some time and he talked about their spiritual superiority. He takes some time and he explains the, the, the beauty of both marriage and singleness. He talks about lawsuits. He, he talks about all these things that they have questions about. And then once he gets to chapter 15, he says, hold on, I need to talk to you about the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. He says, because I know some of you are wondering, did Jesus die and really rise again? Did he happen metaphysically where it was just something that happened in our minds? Or was this something that actually happened? And then what is the point of the resurrection today? And so I think this is important because they were informed by Greek philosophers. Remember, they're in Turkey. So they're informed by Plato and Socrates and Plutarch. And they held this idea, don't lose me here, but they held this idea of dualism. 
And dualism says that the soul is good, but the body is evil. And so because the body is evil, once you die and go into the afterlife, your soul is finally free from your body. And so consequently, they came up with this idea, well, if your body is bad and your soul is good, then that means that there's no, no need or no reason for a physical bodily resurrection. Are y'all with me today, church? Right? Like, so, so, and what Paul is saying is that if there is no physical and bodily resurrection, then we might as well just enjoy these Easter eggs. We might as well just take pictures with the Easter bunny, which is my brother-in-law. Shout out to him out there because he's hot. He's hot. You see him hugging my kids. He's all good. That's my brother-in-law. We conned him into it. We conned him into it. <laughs> he's like, you want me to wear this for real? I'm like, yes. That's what the people want. They want pictures with the Easter bunny. And so if there is no resurrection, then we just need to enjoy my brother-in-law's pictures as the Easter bunny. We just, need to, we just need to enjoy those supermarket eggs. We need to just enjoy the family dinner. Some of y'all might not enjoy that tonight. You'll fight over something. But, but you just enjoy that because the Christian faith just falls apart. Have you ever used a, a, a paper towel from a, at the dollar store? And you notice how as soon as it hits the water, it just crumbles? Well, listen, if there's no physical resurrection of Jesus, then our faith crumbles just like that, just like that paper towel. And so this is important today. It's an important question that we have to ask. And I think it's important for this reason, because we all have to come face to face with mortality at some point. We are all going to pass from this death into the next, well, this life into the next one. And the question you have to ask is what is going to happen? Who are we going to meet? Is our soul going to just be out there? Or is what the Bible says about meeting a God after life, is that true, right? So one of the reasons Christians believe in this is because we believe when we put our faith in Jesus that he deals with our biggest issue, which is our mortality of where, what we do with our life after we give it up. On top of that, it's important because it's part of our faith tradition, right? It's part of what we believe. We believe as Christians that Jesus rose from the grave, right? Verses three through eight says it like this. For I passed on to you the most important, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse four, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here's the eyewitness accounts. He appeared to Peter or Cephas, then the 12, then he appeared to 500 brothers, sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then the apostles, and lastly, as one born at the wrong time, me. So what he's saying is that we have an empty tomb and we have eyewitness accounts of Jesus resurrecting. But if we don't have any of those, Paul says we are in some real trouble. Can I tell you a little bit about the trouble that we're in if we don't have a resurrection? Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay. All right. Here's the first one. Here's the first, here's, here's the first problem we have. Christians are scamming people. Christians are scamming. I don't know about you, but I have a real old, I have an older vehicle. Does anybody ever get a call from the people trying to extend your warranty? Anybody? I listen to them sometimes. I'm like, well, what? You know, I have a 94 Mazda MPV. Why do you need to give me an extended warranty on this? What they're doing is they're trying to scam me. They're trying to offer me a service that they really can't provide. And so the same thing that is a true of those of, of, of the extended warranty is true of Christians. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then we are just scamming people. We're just taking their money. 
We are, we are lying to them, trying to get them to live a particular type of way and follow Jesus. But in reality, we are just some crazy religious nuts that owes people an apology. Are you, here's the second one. The payment for our sin was denied. Payment for our sin was denied. Um, I took my wife out on a date the other day. It was, it was a lot of fun, right? You know, I, I was just swiping the card. I said, baby, you want, oh, you want some of these oysters? I got you. I know you're Nigerian and you want them fried, but it's all good. Here's some oysters. And she was like, boy, we got a shared account. You spoiling me with my own money. I was like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. That's, that's splat, baby. That's how I get down. And so I was swiping my card and then we went to these restaurants, I swiped my card. And then my card got denied when I was paying for parking. And so I was trying to talk real low and maintain my humility. I was like, babe, um, you think I can borrow your card because my card was denied? She was like, oh, you want to borrow my card? Is that what you said? Right? You, oh, you want to borrow my card? I was like, yes, but can you not be so loud about it? Like, we got a good laugh at it. We got a good laugh at it. But then afterwards, I took her card, I swiped it, and then I got something called a receipt. And the receipt was proof that the payment went through. And I was able to go back and retrieve my vehicle because I had a receipt that said it was paid for. And the same thing that applies to me getting my old car is the same thing that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and through the resurrection. Because it was proof that the payment of our sin had been accepted by God and he resurrected as proof that it actually happened. You were like, well, God, what, what did I get saved from? Like, how did I move from a position of danger to a position of safety? Well, you have the wrath of God that's poured out on you because you've broken his holy commitments. Then you have the penalty of the law because you've broken the 613 commandments and laws according to the scripture. Then you have the penalty of all that. And the penalty of all that is to be ostracized from God's presence forever. But thanks be to God that Jesus wasn't just a, a victim of harsh circumstances, but he was a volunteer. He said, I'm going to pay the debt that you owe. I'm going to take my holy credit card. I'm going to swipe it. And I'm going to give you eternal benefits that are better than Obamacare. He's like, the holy payment has been accepted. But if there's no resurrection, there's no payment accepted. There goes my girl. There's been no payment that's accepted. Right? So that means if there is no resurrection, then all that singing that we did right here and Simon losing his voice is useless. All of the sermons that I've been preaching from September on and all the ones that you heard online, they are pointless. All the prayers that you've been praying, hoping that God is going to show up on your house, they are useless because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, he is a sage, but he ain't no savior. And you shouldn't worship him. Here's number three. There is no eternal hope for those who die. There's no eternal hope. It means that people like Father Abraham had many sons, people like him, who trusted in the promise of God. It means that there is no eternal hope for them, that they are no better than the people that didn't believe God in the first place. And if there is no resurrection, that means that God owes the high vice, the Jebusites, and all the people that experienced conquest in the Old Testament, he owes them an apology because he doesn't have the morality. Here, here's, the, here's the fourth one, one of my favorite. We're wasting our time. We are wasting our time, right? Now, if Jesus, this is, what, this is what Paul says. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Listen, if Jesus only provides hope now, then he doesn't really provide any hope at all. He doesn't provide any hope. I don't know about y'all, but there was this thing called the pandemic. 
And once a lot of people passed away and I put on 15 pounds and, and lost it so I could put on this suit today, right? The dad weight. There was the pandemic. There was the racial tension in this nation. There was the global warming that's disproportionately affecting people below the equator. It's the food insecurity in Camden City in particular. There is the wealth gap. There is gender disparities. If Jesus only provides hope in this lifetime, then he's not really providing a lot of hope at all, and you shouldn't worship him. Y'all don't agree with that? Okay, it's cool. It's cool. It's and on top of that, Christianity is hard, right? You should get another hobby. Christianity requires self-sacrifice. It re requires generosity. Like, think about how hard it was for some of y'all to get in here to church today. You tired from the whole weekend because you've been cooking, wore out from cooking, and then you got your clothes out Saturday night, right? And then you contemplated what service you were going to come to this morning, 8, 30, 10, whatever, whatever the services are, I always mess them up. And then you had to fight with the kids to get them into the car if you have children. And then you had to coordinate rides. It was really, really difficult for many of us to get here today. And so here's my question. And then you had to come in, sing some songs that some of you are not familiar with, sit next to people you don't know. That don't sound like a good hobby to me. And so if Jesus did not raise again from the grave, then we're doing all this for no reason at all. Can I give you the fifth reason? We're still ruled by sin. Still ruled by sin. Right, right. Not only is our faith worth worthless, not only is my preaching worthless, but I don't think we understand the depths of how we have been ruined by sin, right? Right, when Adam and Eve ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, it caused a generational problem with all of us. Think about it. Our hearts are now infected. Our hearts are now infected. And we try to clean our lives up, right? I love to go, into rest, go to restaurants. Uh, but one of the things I can't stand is a dirty table. Anybody else in here with me on that? I can't stand it. I remember one time I was out with a friend and... This, I was like, ma'am, you mind cleaning off the table? She was like, oh, sure. And so she got a bucket, and it looked like the, she had used that rag to wipe off 375 other tables. And so what she did was she grabbed the rag, and I was just grimacing. Squeezed it out. I was like, ugh. And then she wiped my table off. What she did was she didn't clean it. She just contaminated it. And see, what you and I do is when we try to clean up our lives, we contaminate our lives just like that nasty water contaminated that table. That's why you can't fix your own problems on your own because you're trying to clean yourself with the very source of contaminated resources. Are y'all hearing me? You're trying to clean it. That's why you can't make, you can't make yourself clean, right? So, so he goes on, right? And you think about sin, it makes us crave the things we shouldn't crave. When people we don't like fall or something happens to them, sometimes we celebrate. And we use religious statements like, well, God don't like ugly. <laughs> you just start making up Bible verses. What goes around comes around. <laughs> Karma is something. That ain't in the Bible. Think about how that's messed us up. On top of it, we celebrate others' misfortune, and then we hoard our resources rather than being generous. Think about it. When's the last time you said, oh, I'm just spending too much money on myself? None of us say that, right? Our hearts are contaminated. When somebody's like, well, pastor, nobody's perfect, and I'm not perfect either. Well, you're not making the occasional misstep. We are running in the polar opposite direction from God. 
He's like, I want to save you, transform you, and give you purpose. But you would rather play in the puddle of disparity rather than the pool of purpose. So he's like, you're running in the wrong direction. Let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. Um, if you had a headache, more than likely you would take an aspirin, right? Some of y'all are real wellness people, so you'd be like, no, nah, I'm not taking that poison in my body. Give me some water and honey. I'm going to take a nap and all that. Praise God. Let's just, let's just say you're going to take an aspirin. If you had a tumor, you would undergo chemotherapy, would you not, right? You don't treat a tumor with aspirin because the severity of your condition dictates the seriousness of your medication. And so for the malignancy of sin, the only thing you can do to reverse its effects is the resurrection. So if there is no resurrection, you and I are hopelessly in trouble. Are y'all with me today? Okay, so let me tell you one of the reasons people don't believe in a resurrection. Can I tell you, give you a few reasons, and then we're going to get happy, all right? Here's one of the reasons that people don't believe in a resurrection. Number one, because they say it was a myth that developed over time. Anybody ever heard that before? It was a myth that developed over time. Well, let me just ask you this. If you were going to start a myth or a legend, would you start it in the very same place where the incident actually occurred? Would you do that? Probably wouldn't, right? You would probably go to an unsuspecting place far away and then tell people about that myth, right? But myths take at least two decades to develop. And so this book was written in 53 AD, and many of the people who saw Jesus die and resurrect were still alive. So that means that there was not enough time for a myth to determine or a myth to develop, right? Here's another one. We don't believe in a resurrection because the eyewitnesses were hallucinating. Now, I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. Uh, But I do know that people, 500 people, typically do not have a psychotic episode at the same time. Am I right, Jeff? Yes, yes, he's nodding his head. He does that, right? That would be a greater miracle than the resurrection, right? Here's another one. Here's number three. His disciples were lying to bolster their reputation. Now, let me ask you something. When somebody lies... Typically, they have something to gain, don't they? They have like what, like political standing, money, wealth, influence, power. Let me ask you this. What did the early disciples of Jesus gain from his death or from telling? They didn't get what was their motivation? They didn't get power. They got persecution. They didn't get praise. They got poverty. They didn't get money. They got martyrdom. So tell me, what is their motivation? On top of that, Why would you die over a lie? I don't know about you, but I ain't finna die over no lie. I'm not. I'll die over some things, but I'm not going to die over no lie. Right? And so the disciple, 10 of Jesus, 12 disciples died. What did they gain from it? Here's the fourth one. Here's the fourth reason. People say, well, Jesus faked his death. Really? Really? Is that what happened? So let me ask you. If Jesus faked his death, then I think what's happening is you're overlooking the ability of the Romans to kill people. The Romans knew how to kill people. On top of that, he was pierced in his side, so he would have died from blood loss. I don't know if the tomb was aerated, but he probably would have died from suffocation if he was still alive and breathing. On top of that, on top of all this, why did Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus anoint his body with spices If he was still alive, why didn't they get him to Luke, who was a doctor? Are y'all hearing me today, church? 
Like, I'm, I'm just trying to build a case. I'm saying, like, like, and then when he finally appeared, he was weakened and bruised a few days later. But the next time they saw him, he was in a perfect, perfect health. So what I'm saying is, this is what I'm saying. The reasons not to believe in the resurrection are all conspiracy theories and conjecture. They're conspiracy theories. And ultimately, they had no authority because we believe in the appearances of Jesus. How do you explain the transformation of the disciples who were once barricaded in a room? But now they're standing up and they're proclaiming the word of God. So here, let me tell you the difference that the resurrection makes. You ready for this? Paul says this and Paul says this in verse 54. He says, when the corruptible body is clothed in incorruptibility, the mortal body is clothed with immorality. Then the saying which is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your stain? Right? Here's the impact that it makes. Here's the first one. Death becomes a period or death becomes a comma and not a period. Death becomes a comma. Like, I don't know about you, but I've had to bury people I love. I had to bury people that I really cared about. And each time that it happened, it felt like more and more permanent. You, we've all said this. We've all lost somebody in here, right? We say like, oh, I lost my dad. Or, oh, I lost my baby. Or, I'll never hug my grandmother again. But, oh, friends, the resurrection says that Jesus took the sting out of death and he reverses it all. Like, like, I, like, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a like, a, like, I don't know about, much about animals. But here's what I do know about bees, right? The stinger here is that when bees sting you, the stinger comes out of their abdomen. And, but they don't die immediately. They're still buzzing around. And so what happened is very similar. What's happening there is very similar to what happened with Jesus. That Jesus endured the stinger of death on the cross of Calvary. He had the wrath of God poured out on him in full blaze. God turned his back on Jesus so he wouldn't have to turn his back on us. He was eternally separated from his son so that we can be embraced. And so now Death is still buzzing around our heads, but it can't sting us anymore because 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the sting. Oh, y'all should give God some praise over that. It means, therefore, that death is a layover and not your final destination. I don't know about you, but I, I remember one time a story with my mom. I really wanted to go to Disney World. I was like, Mom, I'm trying to go to Disney World, but we had to have a layover in St. Louis. And I was like, why are we in St. Louis? I'm trying to see Mickey Minnie. Why we didn't get direct flights, mom? And she was like, boy, I'm about to, boy, I'm about to slap you. Anyway, anyway. So I was like, I was like, mom, I'm trying to go to Disney World. She said, listen, baby, this is your layover. This ain't your final destination. You just here temporarily, but eventually you're going to get to the place that you need to be. And that's what we're saying about the death is that death is temporary. It's a layover. It's just somewhere you are right now. But early Sunday morning, when Jesus rose from the grave, he promised that we were going to be with him in eternity. Y'all ought to give God. And now it's just buzzing around our heads. Now it's happening. But we have eternal benefits that are secured. Here's the second thing it does. It puts our suffering in perspective. It puts our suffering in perspective. I know a lot of us are going, are suffering right now, going through hardship, chronic illness, disappointments, delayed dreams. You're like, pastor, I don't know what's going on, but I thought I'd be married by 30. I thought that I would have my first kid at 31 or 32 or 33 or whenever I got done enjoying my, going out to all the brunches, right? 
But I, I thought we had my kid. I thought that I'd be building generational wealth by now. I thought that we would be doing this. The story of my life, the one that I wrote in my head, does not match the one that I'm living now. And I'm kind of miserable. I'm suffering, right? I'm going through hardships. Some of y'all are experiencing chronic illnesses. And some of you are going through all type of pain. But on the cross of Calvary and through the resurrection, what happened is Jesus dealt with the only suffering that can harm you forever, and that's separation from him. That's why he says, don't worry about people that can harm the body, but worry about that person that can harm the body and the soul. What he's saying is that suffering and your momentary affliction is not going to last forever. In fact, it's only a temporary place until you're with me in eternity. This is what he's saying. Here's my, here's my, my last one. Here it is. Oh, no, this is a good point. I need to tell you this. This is good. And I know that you're going through pain right now, but there is not a pain in your life that the resurrection can't fix. You can go ahead and play, Jay. There is no, resu- there is no problem that you have right now that the resurrection can't ease. And that's what Jesus did. And let, let me just say this. Here's my third point. I'm going to finish that. <clears throat> Living for Jesus makes the most sense. It makes the most sense. If he's the one that has conquered death, if he's the one that's able to reverse the curse of this earth, If he's the one that's able to give us eternal hope, then it only makes sense that we serve him. Then it only makes sense. I don't know if you know, but death has, death was undefeated. Death knew how to trample people. Death was like, yo, I got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I got Abimelech and all them other biblical figures. I was trying to alliterate. Don't worry about that. Right. But death is like, I got all of them. But there's something about Jesus that I don't have because Jesus overcame. And I just want to ask you today. How are you going to live your life? If, if serving Jesus is the only thing that makes sense, how are you going to live your life moving forward? Are you going to live your life for you only? Are you going to do it? Are you going to spend all your time on your pursuits and your worldly pleasures? Or are you going to spend time making an eternal difference with your time? And listen, I'm finished up, family. This is what I want to say. Some of you, I don't think you have your eternal destiny secure. You don't know. If I pass from this life into the next... God, where am I going to spend my time? But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he has open arms. He wants to welcome you into his family. He promises to endow you and give you all type of gifts. Like you get all, you get the salvation, but he gives you gifts in order to use to expand his kingdom. It's a good deal. Jesus lost everything so he can give you everything. Jesus lost his life to give you a new life. Jesus took the dirtiness of sin so that you can have the cleanliness of a new life in existence with him. He took it all on his back. He took your punishment. Like, I don't knock any other religious tradition. If you're here from a different a different source, I mean, shout out to you. I'm glad that you're here today. But one of the reasons that I serve Jesus so vigorously is because I know that I don't have the ability on my own to please God. I don't. And if I do, then that means that he's not just. And so what Christianity says is not about what God or you can do for God, but it's ultimately about what God has done for you through the cross of Calvary. And somebody might be saying, well, why my life so messed up? Why does God allow even all that type of stuff? Listen, the world is broken. It's broken by sin. It's like my kids breaking a toy and then blaming me that the toy is broken. Like, boy, you broke it. I'm going to fix it, but not in my, not in your time. I'm just saying. 
we don't judge God's goodness by a small sample size. We judge it by an eternal sample size. Because he didn't have to give you life. You're still borrowing his air. You're still allowing the blood to run through your veins. You still are in your right mind. You still ate today. You still have a home. You still were able to get here. That is tangible evidence that God is good. It's tangible. And he loves you. Maybe you don't know that today. But the Lord really loves you. He died for you and I. So that we can experience an eternal hope. But then he has things for us to do in this earth so that people can be impacted long term. And so listen, I just want to pray for you. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I thank you so much for all of those who are in the place today. I pray that you would bless them. I pray, God, that those having doubts, those wondering about the resurrection, that they will be encouraged and experience hope and joy today. That they will know that you are good and you're mighty and you're awesome and that you're all-knowing. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all happy to be in church.